It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News, and still lots to cover today, and we're going to keep plowing on through it. Obviously, as we talked in the last segment, all eyes are on Amy Coney Barrett and her confirmation process. And there's a lot of squawking on both sides in terms of where we are and what it means and precedent and all of that. And so whenever we have those questions, where do we go? The only source for that, James Walner. James joins us uh, today from Washington, D.C. How are we doing? How are you? <laughs> doing well. Doing well. So whenever we get to the uh, the Senate and the need to understand what's going on inside the Senate, how it relates to their constitutional duties, uh, always get, love to get your perspective and insight on this. Uh, obviously, high stakes drama going on, uh, beginning with uh, Amy Coney Barrett making the rounds today to a few of the Senate offices anyway to begin uh, and again, a lot of a lot of squawking going on from both sides in terms of what's fair, what's not. Uh, give us the real lowdown. Where where does the Senate sit right now? What does that look like in terms of the Constitution? Well, right now the Senate is going through its process, and under the Constitution, the Senate is doing nothing nothing wrong. Uh, this is because. Article 2, Section 2 gives the president the ability to nominate, but it requires the Senate to confirm, to provide its advice and consent. And as we all know, our favorite clause of the Constitution, Article 1, Section 5, Clause 2, gives the Senate and its members, the senators, the ability to determine how they go about providing that advice and consent. And we may not like that at times. We may like it at other times. But ultimately, there is nothing constitutionally uh, illegitimate, if you will, about what they're doing right now. Yeah. And uh, uh, I was uh, commenting to someone earlier this morning that, uh, you know, everyone was complaining about, you know, the rules, the, the you know, who, who gets to do what and when, obviously, election year. Uh, and my uh, response was, you know, if you're if you're complaining about the rules or the referee, you're you're probably losing. <laughs> and do the are, are the Democrats getting into that space? Uh, are they you know, what's the what is their message to this and how does it stack up against both rules, precedent and the Constitution? Well, it seems to me that the first thing I think your listeners should be aware of is that anything is possible inside the Senate and in Congress, for that matter. And just because you're disadvantaged or you're outnumbered in a debate doesn't mean that you necessarily um, are going to lose. And this is because outcomes aren't foreordained. They're not written in stone. The only thing that determines outcomes in a debate is how that debate unfolds. And there, the Democrats and what they're doing now really mystifies me, because, as you said, they're complaining about precedents. They're complaining about rules that senators have all the power to decide. It's nothing illegitimate about it. And they're not doing the kinds of things that one would expect them to do if they ultimately want to shift the frame of this debate and try to ensure that it is um, resolved and decided on terms more favorable to them. 
Uh, I think that's uh, fascinating. You you wrote a piece uh, over the weekend for the Washington Examiner, really exploring uh, the fact that the Constitution is on the the Senate's side at, at this point. Uh, could you just give a a brief snapshot? I love the example you used from a an 1813 letter from James Madison uh, that he sent to the Senate regarding the appointment clause. Tell us about that. Right. And so the Constitution itself, again, this is really important. It just provides a framework. It creates a space in which we all can come together and try to, to, to persuade each other and to win debates. And that's especially true with the confirmation process. And we oftentimes will suggest that the Senate can't do this or it can't do that as a way to ensure that our outcome prevails without really working. But in reality, the Senate can do whatever it wants. And this is really highlighted in this letter that uh, President James Madison at the time, who was certainly instrumental in helping to craft the Constitution, wrote to the Senate regarding um, and an ambassador regarding uh, someone that he wanted to, to, to have the Senate to confirm. And he actually argues against his position. And he says the Senate is free to decide how and when and why it will confirm people. And it is actually the relationship between the Senate and the president is just like the relationship between the House and the Senate. And no one argues that the Senate has to vote on every bill the House passes. And no one argues that the, the Senate has to consider bills that the House passes in a certain way, because the Senate gets to decide those questions for itself. Oh, I, I think that's so critical. And I love uh, I love Madison's uh, use of the term coordinate, uh, because he was really saying, and man, do we need this a reminder today, uh, that there is equality uh, that the, there's equal rank between the president and the Senate or the Senate and the House, uh, the Congress and you know the executive branch and the legislative branch and the judicial branch. Uh, to me, that's something we're we're really missing and, and is probably part of the problem, a contributing factor to a lot of the drama uh, over this nomination. That's right. And we often think of the separation of powers as co-equal, but they're actually coordinate. And because they all have different powers in different spheres, and in those spheres, they're actually more powerful than, than others. So, for instance, the House is more powerful in the sphere of appropriating taxpayer dollars and actually raising tax dollars than, say, the president or the Supreme Court is. So they, but, they, but they're coordinate powers. They are, they're equal in that respect. And ultimately, they get to decide how they want to use their own powers. And it is on the voters. It is on each and every one of us to decide if we like how they are using that power. And if we don't like it, it's not to pretend like we're all victims. It's to replace senators and get new senators who will actually use that power the way we think best. And in the process, we'll have a debate and we'll have to argue with our friends and neighbors and family members and strangers. And over time, we get what uh, Madison calls a better understanding of justice and the general good. Uh, that's uh, that's fantastic. And I, and I do love where you you landed there, that uh, it, it is the fact that this this will likely be decided right before Election Day. And and then it is up to we the people. I, you know, we keep sending back uh, 90 plus percent of incumbents are reelected every cycle. And if if we don't like it, this is going to be very clear this year. If you don't like the way this process went, then you need to change the people who are driving the process. Is that right? 
That's right. And it goes not just for Republicans, but also for Democrats. Democrats have options and they have tools and they can play this game a little bit better than they are now. And if you're a progressive or liberal Democrat and you don't like what's happening, then you should be just as frustrated with your Democratic senators than you are, as you are with Republican senators who are going to likely support uh, uh, nominee Barrett's confirmation. And I think that's a critical point, because just because there are fewer Republicans, if you have your way, for argument's sake, inside the Senate, there's still going to be the Democrats who ultimately weren't willing to use their tools um, effectively to achieve your goals. And so in the future, when they're confronted with the situation with, that you want to have adjudicated, they're not going to do it either. And I think that's why this status quo that we see in this nation keeps on going, despite no matter who we send to the Senate, no matter who we send to the White House, the way we conduct our politics keeps on going and we all keep getting more and more frustrated. Yeah. And we keep getting the exact same result, which is the the real problem. And you've written a lot lately that is just fantastic in terms of it. It's not enough to just complain about the rules or the referees or the other side. Uh, you actually have to act like a senator. you got to be a senator or a member of Congress or in the executive branch uh, and use the tools, use the power that you've been given under the Constitution to do your job. And if not, then the people can say, she didn't do her job. He didn't do his job. Uh, we can vote them out and get somebody back there who will do their job. All right, James. Yeah, and let's- oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I'm from the South. We the college football is a big thing here. The rules in football are leveraged. They allow teams to win. And it's the same thing in the Congress. The rules do not constrain your senators. They empower your senators. Oh. And you should expect your senators to use them to achieve their goals. Oh, love that. Love that. Always learn something when we talk. James Walner uh, joining us today. Always appreciate his insight, especially as it relates to the Senate and the Constitution. Uh, James is a senior fellow at uh, R Street Institute. James, thanks for joining us. We'll have you back. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, James Walner, love to have him on. We're going to step aside, bottom of the hour break. When we come back, we're going to really take a deep dive into what the evening might look like. Scott Howell's going to join us. Don't miss it. Right here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.